For scripture reading, we first of all turn to Psalm 44. Psalm 44 sets the context for the mighty confession of faith that we consider tonight that we are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. And we read this so that you may consider that cry in this context. We will consider the confession that we are sheep for the slaughter that's quoted here. So notice, please, from what we are delivered and unto what are we conquerors. Psalm 44, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days, in the times of old. How thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantedst them, how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them. But thy right hand and thine arm, and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God, command deliverance for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword deliver me, save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies, and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long, and praise thy name forever. But thou hast cast us off, and put us to shame. And go us not forth with our armies. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy. And they which hate us spoil for themselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat. And hast scattered us among the heathen. Thou sellest thy people for naught. And dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger, all this is come upon us. Yet have we not forgotten thee, neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant. Our heart is not turned back, neither have our steps declined from thy way. Though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons, and covered us with the shadow of death, if we have forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a strange God, Shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, 
Why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Now let's turn to our text in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rightly so, this passage from the Word of God may be one of the most quoted passages in all of Scripture in time of trouble and distress. Elders, family members, and friends have all gone to loved ones on their deathbed. Friends in time of great, great distress. Times perhaps when even succumbing to great temptations. When troubled in the depths of soul, with these words and simply read them because they need no explanation. Every child of God understands them. They're that plain and simple. And even more, because every child of God knows that this is a confession of faith, that the questions that are asked here are not questions with an answer in doubt, but the rhetorical questions that faith answers with certainty. And there's not just questions here, but there's confession here, confession of faith. And the reason we're considering it this evening is because this is our confession all of us who confess Jesus Christ and have made confession of faith, even those who anticipate making it, must know that the heart of this passage is a confession, really the confession of faith. And that's why we bring this word and we read this word in times of distress. The question that we consider in our text tonight is the fourth question that the Apostle asks 
And all four of these questions are faith's response to the great biblical truths that have been taught in the book of Romans up to that point. Especially the great truths that in the light of the fact that we are all condemned, Jew and Gentile, before the law of God, whether that comes to us through the law of Moses or the law of God as that is found in the testimony of the conscience before God's creation, that all who believe in Jesus Christ are justified, which justification is the granting the imputing of the righteousness of God Himself so that one to whom God grants it is perfect, righteous. The basis of which is not anything in the individual himself. Anything that he does or works or thinks. But the pure grace and mercy of God received through faith. There is the great truth also taught in this book about how God's work includes His great deliverance of the child of God by the actual putting in that child the Spirit of Jesus Christ so that sin no more reigns in that child of God. He is dead to sin, buried with Christ, then raised. And the great biblical truth of election, which is the source of all that great work of God. And in response to that, there are these questions. Both the questions and the confession that follows have to do with victory, assurance of victory, of perseverance over against many enemies and many odds. And it is certain, therefore, there is no doubt expressed here whatsoever. There's no ifs, no ands, no buts that's found in this confession. It's a confession of absolute victory. That's evident from the questions themselves. If you simply look at the questions and what they pertain and what they talk about. Two of the questions affirm the fact that no one can be destroyed before God. That exactly because of those great truths, one may be assured and know that when he stands before the judgment seat of God, there is no one, not one creature, one individual, not angels or devils that can accuse us and by that accusation, condemn us before God. And then building on that comes even the more sure expression of that confession when the answer of the question is that we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, but more and the word in the original is very expressive. It's a word that we know as hyper. Hyper. That is to the max. 
to the maximum that one can think, far beyond even imagination and consideration, the child of God is a conqueror. And now our text explains why that is. It has to do really with three things, which are the three points of the sermon. The first seems counterintuitive. It's that we are sheep for the slaughter, something the apostle himself brings up in this grand text. The second is that this is through the love of Christ. And secondly, a child of God is more than conqueror because he is personally persuaded of this. Consider with me that, more than conquerors. First, that we are sheep for the slaughter. One of the things that we can overlook easily, even when we, by faith's instinct, understand the great comfort and the power of this text and why we quote it and use it, why most of us know it by heart, is in that cry that we are more than conquerors and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We know often the beginning of that part. We know that question, who shall separate us from Christ? Shall these things? And then we know that cry, we are more than conquerors. And we are persuaded that none of these things None of these things can separate us from the love of Christ, but we often forget that part in the middle, that quotation from Psalm 44, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And you have to ask yourself, why is that there? It seems out of place. It seems so contrary to both the question and the response that one is almost inclined to forget that verse. Uh, Too negative, too depressing. Sheep for the slaughter. Or we look at that and we, we give different interpretations of it that really make it so that, well, this fits in our own mind according to being conquerors. Maybe it's referring to others. Maybe only certain people are sheep for the slaughter. Maybe those people that lived in great times of persecution during the Roman emperors or those, those people that lived at the time of the Reformation. But that's not the confession. Confession there is we are all killed. We are. Same people who confess we are more than conquerors. Same people that ask that question and give the answer who can separate us from the love of Christ and say no also must confess we are sheep for the slaughter. I want you men to realize that's what you confess. That's what you see yourself to be. And it's only really in doing that that you will understand what it means to be more than a conqueror. You see, it would be one thing if we were mighty people equipped with unbelievable powers and muscle and might and numbers, if we were men and women of renown, gifted with amazing mental abilities, if we had friends in high places, 
to say we are more than conquerors. But that's not faith. That's antithetical to faith. Faith never says I'm more than a conqueror for anything in me. Faith has to look elsewhere. So that when faith looks at itself, faith doesn't simply say, well, I'm weak. I have a little power, but not much. And I can compete with that which is trying to achieve victory over with me with a certain amount of my own skill and abilities. No. The Apostle quotes this because in order to understand how it is that we're more than conquerors, you must understand, first of all, you're not men and women. You're sheep. And not just sheep. We are not just sheep that are out in pasture, grazing away, but we are sheep destined for the slaughterhouse. That's what faith confesses about who and what we are. You see, it's only if you understand the strength of the enemy and our weakness that you understand what it means to be a conqueror and more than a conqueror. First of all, you see, there are enemies. Enemies more powerful than you can imagine. And the only way that you can understand their power is you, first of all, see yourself as a sheep. Humans do as sheep whatever they want. There is no sheep that's ever gotten the victory over a human being. There is no sheep that has its way with human beings. Sheep in our location and time aren't slaughtered for meat too much, mainly sheared, but in the history of the world, millions of sheep have been slaughtered, raised, raised because, well, you can have your way with a sheep and then kill it when you want to. And that becomes the biblical metaphor for us. When one looks at the church, when one looks at the people of God, one must just see sheep, and sheep that at some point, at some time, and in some place will be slaughtered. Not some of the sheep, not just a few here and there, but we are all destined for the slaughter. That's what faith confesses. And faith confesses it because it understands all the different ways that we are helpless and without power against the enemy that faces us. Now, the apostle hammers this home by mentioning a few things. A persecution, and then you must see these things as different forms of persecution. In other words, an enemy that is coming against you to destroy you exactly because you're a sheep. They're slaughtered sheep. They're not sheep that die of natural causes. They're not sheep that are abused a little bit. But there's enemies that desire to destroy you. That's what that word slaughter has. And slaughter for one's own purpose, for one's own gain, for one's own end. That's the enemy. And he mentions them in the form of tribulation. Tribulation is a to put a trial, a struggle, pain, sorrow on someone. To inflict 
pressure upon them so that it causes them to hurt badly. Then the hurt itself is that word distress. So tribulation is the idea of making one's way very narrow. Maybe you've herded sheep or cattle before. And before you slaughter them, you have to take them from their wide-ranging plain and through various means, including dogs and fences and gates, you narrow and pinch them down so that one by one they're separated but going the direction that you want them to, which is into the truck, which is going to the slaughterhouse. That's the idea of tribulation. It pinches, narrows it down so that it causes then distress, hurt, makes you anxious, makes you struggle, causes you pain. And then with that persecution comes often famine and nakedness. That is, loss of what you have. Loss of possessions. Loss of place in society. Loss of your standing. A child of God understands that as long as he lives in this world, he's a sheep for the slaughter simply because he will not and cannot be what others are in society. Peril and sword. Those are threats, dangers, threats to one's life. The sword is to actually execute someone, has a reference often to the fact that the state gets in on the persecution. It's not just individuals, but often it's a concerted effort, an organized effort, using even government to persecute the church. And now, I'm sure all of you are saying, that's not me. That's not us. We live in America. We have the right to worship. There's no persecution and peril and distress and nakedness coming our way. And if it does, we can avoid it. We can escape it. There's things we can do. And the apostle says, no, it is you. And if it doesn't apply to you, something's wrong. Because the enemy does this for thy sake. Notice the connection. The connection isn't that this is arbitrary, that this happens only occasionally or now and then. Sure, the form of it changes, something we ought to also consider. But as long as as there is an enemy, this enemy is the enemy of God. It hates God. And for thy sake, that is, because we confess his name, because we stand for him, these things come. And the only way to avoid it is to not confess his name, to not be associated with the name of God. If one will confess his name, if one will stand for the word of God, if one will say, this is what I believe, and say it publicly, then there will be tribulation, peril, sword, nakedness, and famine even. We have to understand that. But there's more here. Enemies that have the power of death, notice that's their power, the cry 
is a cry of victory over death because the enemy has the power of death in its hands like a human being with a sheep in his hands and a big old sword. But there's more to this cry than just that. It's that we deserve it. It's not simply that the Apostle is bringing before us something that happens because of our connection to God. That certainly is there in the psalm. The psalmist is very aware that they have not forgotten God, that they've followed after God. And yet, there is not the victory, seemingly, as there was in days past. Enemies are overrunning the church at the time this psalm is written. He recounts the time when they virtually walked into the land of Canaan and and God, as it were, easily destroyed droves of giants and walled cities and made people flee before hundreds. And they had the land. Not by their sword, but God did it. And now He looks in the opposite. Seems to be the case. We can perhaps see that in our own history. Maybe even now we can look back at the time of the Reformation and the great victories and the hundreds of thousands and millions that confess the name of God and you say, where is that now? Where is the zeal for God's name? Seems like the enemy has overrun the place. And the psalmist is aware of that too. That the real problem is that in the face of persecution and trouble and trial and distress, we forget that it's for God's sake. And we remember that it's actually God who is doing it. Notice in the psalm that that was the confession time and time again, that the same God who gave them the victory is the same God who's allowing the enemy to seemingly overrun the place. That it's God who has put the sword in their hand It's God who's caused the famine. It's God who's brought the tribulation and the distress. Now do you see the threat? It's not just that the child of God is slaughtered. The threat is in life. That's why he's going to mention life later on. What can separate us from the love of God? Can death? child of God says, no, not death. What about life? Life is a threat too. Because it's in life that we begin to question. Why is it that a child of God is like a sheep to the slaughter even when he's in fact not being slaughtered? It's because the threat causes us to bleat and to flee, to become anxious, to become distressed. So much so that we can question. We can question God. We can question His love. So an amazing confession about victory here. Do we see that? Do we understand the strength of the enemy? Do we understand our own weakness as a church and as a people? Are we really surprised when we hear about the things going on in the church? Not if we've been reading the Psalms. Not if we've been considering church history. Not if we know our church history. The reply should be, what do you expect? When you make confession of faith, what did you expect? Did you expect a gold path all the way to heaven? No trouble? No squeezing? Or if maybe you're smart enough, maybe if you look far enough ahead you can run away from it? There's a lot of people who do that. 
I'll separate from the church. Then God's chastisements won't fall on me. Or I'll separate from the church. Then, then I can avoid this persecution. Look at all these distresses. Look at all the troubles God's sending on the church. I'm out of here. Really? Is that church history? Is that what the people of God have done? No, they've suffered together. Even in the psalm. I have no doubt at the time that that psalm was written, the psalmist could look over and count all kinds of people in the church that had forsaken God. That the reason the enemy was so strong and the people of God were so weak was God was chastising them for many who had forgotten His name, who had idols tucked all over the place, were giving themselves to those idols, who were trusting in themselves and not God. And yet faith, and only faith, says... Though we be lambs to the slaughter. And though we be lambs to the slaughter, for God's sake, we are more than conquerors. Now why is that? Well, we just ruled out two things. We are more than conquerors because, well, it can't be me. Because I'm just asleep and I'm a sheep who's going to get slaughtered. And I will be slaughtered. And it can't be because the enemy is so strong. Because I have considered that it is God who has done this, which means the enemy is under the thumb of God. So what explains the victory? And the apostle says, the love of God in Christ. It's all about the love of God in Christ. Now consider that that love isn't my love for Christ, but Christ's love for me. It's the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the love of Christ for those sheep being slaughtered. It is the love of Christ that explains it all. And so he meditates upon that love. And notice, it's the love of God. Not minimizing God's grace and God's mercy and God's pity. But it is amazing how when the Bible wants to really talk, and perhaps that is why we go to this passage, it talks about God's love. And it considers that love. The apostle, as it were, takes us by the hand. He has made us consider what we are, sheep. He has made us look at the enemies. And then he says, now let's go beyond your own little scope. Let's walk through the universe together, shall we? And let's look at all of its creatures. Anything that could be a threat to you. And especially now, not to you, but to your relationship to Jesus Christ. Or better yet, a threat to Jesus Christ's love for you. And he takes us on a tour. He says, consider death. Can death separate you from the love of Christ? No. No, it can't. The child of God considers that the moment he dies, especially in the light of what he just confessed, that there is no condemnation, none at all, that death is not a threat. What explains that? The love of God in Christ. The love of God in Christ, you understand, is God's delight, God's powerful, unending, everlasting delight in us, and His desire for our highest good. 
as His creatures. And that in that love, the supreme demonstration of that love, according to Scriptures, is the sending of Christ itself. There it is demonstrated. If you doubt the love of God in Christ, you simply have to go to the cross and see there it demonstrated. And now consider, can death separate you from that love? Well, how could it? How could it? Not when Jesus Christ suffered death, which is the punishment of sin on our behalf. How could it? When Jesus Christ came in our flesh to take on death. But the Apostle then says, consider life. Can life itself separate you from the love of God in Christ? And you might say, well, yeah, I think so. There is. All kinds of times I'm separated from that. There are times I stray. There are times that I doubt God's love. There are, there are times that I myself have erected an idol in my own house, given myself to it, looked to all kinds of other things for my, for my happiness and for my joy. Well, what of it? That might indeed interrupt very much your love for God. Indeed, that will make you question your love for God. Maybe even question God's own love for you. But can it separate you from the love of God in Christ for you? It's an amazing thing that's confessed here. And if a child of God looks, he should be able to see it in the persecution and in the tribulation and in the trials. Does God do that to someone He does not love? No. God chastens those whom He loves. The question is, do we see it as that? Faith says, yes. I see it for what it is. I see that we, as the people of God, the sheep of His pasture, have deserved this. We have forsaken God at times. Such as the love of Christ that in life He always, always brings us back. He considers angels and principalities, that is, devils, even angels in heaven, powers, things present, things to come. Think. Think of anything that can happen. Think of anything that has happened. First, Consider anything that has happened. Look through history. Can you come up with a single instance where anything separated a child of God from the love of God in Christ? And then you know it's not going to happen in the future either. Have angels? Consider Satan himself. Has he been able in all of his trials and all of his working and all of the sheep he slaughtered, has he separated one sheep from the love of God for that sheep in Christ. He even takes us into space, height or depth, that belongs to this creation. He brings it up because he, he imagines a child of God that's been separated through no fault of his own from the church. A, a man like Joseph, stuck in a prison, innocent, separated from his family, separated from his church, separated from his people. Was he separated from the love of God in Christ for him? No. We may find ourselves on a remote island 
cast away, gone, forgotten, scorned, ridiculed by people. Can it separate you from the love of God in Christ? And faith says no. God takes us by the hand, you see, and shows us every single creature considers the most powerful, the most mighty. You see, love is strong. Consider just your own love for someone whom you love dearly. And you know something about the power of love. There's a reason why the Bible says love is stronger than death. Loved ones die, and it doesn't separate us our love from them, does it? brings tears, but it actually makes our love stronger, doesn't it? Love, love, love is strong. And now consider God's love, the true and original love, the one who has loved us since time began before then, the love that in the book of Romans even precedes God's election of us. But there's more about this conquering, this victory, that makes it more hyper to the max. And this, this is proof of the victory. And it's simply amazing, amazing proof of the fact that nothing can separate us from God's love. And that is, faith says, I am persuaded of that. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature can separate us, separate me, can separate any child of God from the love of God. That's amazing in light of the fact of what happens to a child of God. And here, we need just consider what God could do and how God could have done things. He could have done things the way that we expect them to work. Where power is power and might is might and it's obvious to all. But God's way is not that way. God says for the glory of my name, to show forth really who I am, to really show forth the power of my love, I'm going to love sheep. Sheep who are utterly helpless. Helpless to save themselves, helpless to avoid persecution. A sheep that can't even recognize what they are and who they are and their powerlessness. And I'm going to array enemies against them that you can't possibly imagine. Oh, and I'm going to sometimes afflict these sheep because they don't recognize my love. They've forsaken my love. They've wandered. They think, they think they're something else than sheep for the slaughter. And God shows before all the world, but He shows it first to faith. That's victory. That's conquering. That's who you are. That's who I am. And that is really what these young men confessed before us tonight. I hope they did. There are 
beloved people of God, things coming. Mighty powers becoming more powerful. The sheep becoming fewer in number. The knife being sharpened for the slaughter. And yet, in spite of all that, we are more than conquerors through the love of God in Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank Thee for faith and strengthen our faith that we never doubt Thy love for us. That we, even when we doubt Thy love for Thee, and we doubt Thy love for us, that the very power and strength of Thy love will overcome our doubts and our fears. And give us so that we even live as sheep for the slaughter, that we live in this world as those who belong to Thee, who are loved by Thee and saved by Thee. O Lord, grant us such faith and grant us young men of such faith and strengthen our faith for whatever trial and tribulation, power and principality that is against us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.